have been uh, stressing this morning, kind of reminding ourselves of the greatness of the salvation that God has provided and the security that is ours in one of the number passes. We only see from, from this side, we can't see what's going on, on the other side except by God's word. If we open the word of God, we see that. And those are good reminders for us and they are encouraging to us. And we're going to be looking at Titus and Titus has been doing that very thing, reminding us of things. Before we open to Titus chapter three, though, let's have some questions. Father, this is a serious time time that exposes the greatness of my inadequacy and the greatness of our need and the greatness of your salvation. We are very needy people. We stand before you as those who are needy and we are appreciative of the greatness of your provision. We're thinking of the passing of our, our sister Joni, and we have been reminded of others that have gone ahead and are enjoying your presence in glory right now. Also, as we are thinking of these events and these things that are taking place, I can't help but want to examine my life, be sure that I am right, because it is easy. And you tell us in scripture that we need to examine ourselves and be in the faith. It is easy for us to be distracted. It's not easy just for the people out there in the abstract, but it is easy for me, my heart, my life, to be distracted. And I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to, I don't want to take for granted and, and to take lightly the things that you have provided for us. And so as we are looking back, as we are reminiscing on the verses before us, I pray that you will speak to my heart, in our hearts, help us to be sensitive to what you're saying. Help us to learn from the things that you're saying to us so that we would grow in usefulness and in the likeness of our blessed Lord. Thank you so much for him, for his work, his provision, for his love for us, and for his call to our lives. Help us to be faithful hearers. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus chapter 3, and um, just by way of a rather rapid review, in this section, Titus is reminding us, first of all, uh, he reminds us of, I've called it responsible living. He says, remind them, when he uses the word them, he's talking about the saints there. Um, he's been talking about the older men, younger men, young, older women, younger women. And some of the differences that the call of Christ on the life makes, he reminds them to be subject. And this comes as a, in, this, in the type of, of grammatical emphasis that it is a repeated habit, be reminding them to be rulers and to be subject to authorities, to be obedient. Again, repeated as a habit, to be ready for every good deed, to malign as a habit, no one um, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. That's just a good reminder 
of things that that uh, we need to do and and i am i'm very well aware of in my life of distractions that take place and things that are that easily lead me on the side road or on a detour and um i know we all have them but i sometimes think that that mine are I'm more susceptible to them you understand what i mean it's just easy to do that so these are reminders that are good to be reminded of things to do in your life that are responsible. Then he goes on to, to talk about past failures in verse three, remind them of these things. He said, for we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Again, the reminder of, of of our past life, the things that we have gone through, the things that we have done. And um, I don't know if we like to do that, but sometimes I think we, we used to have testimony, not a lot, but we've had people stand up and just give a word of testimony. Sometimes we do it on Sunday evening of how they came to know the Lord. And one of the things that seems to be universally true of believers is they like to talk about how they have their life was falling apart before or that there were failures in their life or that there were shortcomings in their life and the difference that Jesus made in their lives. I think of uh, the, when we had the baptism of the kids and they stood up and they said that before they met Christ, their life was miserable. Well, we know that that might have been a little bit of an exaggeration, but it is true that before we met Christ, the things in our lives were falling apart. I think of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, I think Nebuchadnezzar uh, in that context, and I don't know exactly the circumstances, but I envisioned him on a Saturday morning wanting to give testimony of what God had done in his life, and he calls the scribes and, of his court to come in, and the ones who keep records and things, and sits them down, and then begins to give his first-person testimony to them of his conversion and the difference that Christ made in his life. We like to do that. And it's, it's just helpful to remind ourselves of past failures and things in our lives. And that's what uh, he's doing here. And then we come to a new section we're starting this morning in verse four. And this is to remind them of the present work of the Lord in their lives. And so let's look at verses four through seven. It says, but when the kindness of God, our savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly in Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The word but there kind of is a transition, if you will, We've been looking at what we were, and now we are coming to the transition of what he is doing now. And uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing to, to do that, to realize the difference of what we were and what he's doing for us now and how he is working in our hearts now and what he's, um, the difference he's making. I'm appreciating the study this morning. I know we all are Pete's class in, in John chapter nine and appreciating the work that the Lord is doing 
Uh, and it's like a present story we're going about. The Lord is the work that the Lord is doing in the heart of this blind man who is not named, interestingly, in the text, but we know there from the story the greatness of God's salvation and the change that, that the Lord has made in his life. And it's a good, it's, it's interesting to see that the change that takes place in his life and the change that does not take the place in the lives of the Pharisees, the Jews, and those that are there. Not because the, the evidence is not there. Nicodemus made it clear the evidence was there when he said, we know that you're a teacher come from God, but no man could do these signs that you do except God is with him. They know that, they have the miracles and everything, but they can't see beyond their bias. And it, it just blinds their eyes. And so this is interesting to do that, just to, to look at the things that God is doing and the transition that he's taking, that is taking place. In verse four, uh, it says, but when the, the, the kindness of God, our savior, and his love for mankind appear, that is sort of a, a, an anticipation, if you will, that, and I'm gonna look at it, we'll get into it, uh, of what he is doing. And notice that there, if you will, there's kind of a contrast. Um, you don't see it in English, but in the Greek, the word kindness and the phrase love for mankind are bold. They're emphasized. And so you have here uh, an emphasis here in this text, almost like you would put it in bold type. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appear, he saved us. So this is the this is the thrust there, this is emphasis, if you will, of God's kindness. The word there appeared is, and there's some there's a number of interesting words, but the word appeared. Let's look at that one first. Um, it's used in the New Testament four times. This is one of the places. It always speaks of an appearing of something that already exists. It's not talking so much about the creation of something that now is visible, but it's it's talking about the appearance of something that already existed. For example, um, in Acts 2720, uh, in that the shipwreck that is described by Paul as being um, they were shipwrecked on the sea, and for several days the sun and the moon or the sun, the stars had not appeared. Um, and it's not that the sun and the stars uh, had to be created, they were there, but because of the storm, they had been blocked out, but there, and uh, that's the word that's used, it did not appear during that time of storm. But the idea of the sun and the stars were, they existed. And uh, the rest of the occurrences, for example, in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, it's reference to the Messiah. Where in that context he is described as the sunrise on high, who is shining or appearing to those who sit in darkness. He's on high, the appearance is there. It's not the creation of something new. He has been shining, and his uh, shining has been has been clearly seen. Titus has that that word appears twice in Titus, the uh, first occurrence, and then we'll look at our text is in Titus chapter two. And in Titus chapter 2, we read in verse 11. I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. It's in verse 11, but I'm going to read it down through verse 14. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has, and here's our word, the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. That word appearing is in verse 11. It's hearing, talking about the grace of God that has appeared, but it's not some nebulous doctrinal picture. It's the coming of the salvation that God has provided. That's what he's referring to, that the grace of God provided in Christ in salvation as he has appeared on the scene, has appeared to us. And he's brought salvation. He's begun to work in our hearts. That's a good verse. And that's a good reference. And our passage here, it just simply says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for all for mankind appeared. Uh, his kindness, his salvation, his love was there. And this is talking about his motivation now. Why he came, why he did it. He, have, he was kind, he's good. Let's look at that for a moment. The word kind uh, is a word that can give reference to goodness. I don't know if you ever sit down and just think about I know we do it on Thanksgiving, but think about the goodness of God, that he is so good. And especially thinking and realizing that he is good to us who are so self-centered and so rebellious and uh, so greedy for our own way and so often we ignore his call and his purpose and his pursuit for us. And I'm aware of that. I, I uh, frequently, well, I shouldn't say frequently, it makes me sound like I'm some kind of spiritual person, but I will very frequently think about God's goodness of driving down, going to work, go out in the cold morning or a rainy morning, get in the car, start up, it's dry, I'm warm at the house and don't have any leaks in the roof yet, stuff like that. And I'm just aware that God is good to me. He just he provides a lot of a lot of good things for us, and uh, it's just really I'm, I'm just very thankful that he that the fact that he's good. And this verse tells us that that the kindness of God um, that he is good to us. The kindness of God means that he is good, and that's the idea that kindness means goodness. It also has the idea of somebody who has a high moral character. Can we find anybody with a higher character, a moral character than our God? It speaks of God, not so much in God's goodness of actions, as much as in his goodness of character, his personality. His, his, he's just good. He's just good. Aren't you glad that our God is good? Amen. And that he's gracious and he's kind? I mean, because there's absolutely nothing we can do to change him or to alter him or to stop him in doing anything that he's going to do. We are totally, totally helpless, but he is good. He is dependable. He is holy. He is righteous. And we can depend on him. And we know we can depend on him because his dependability is perfect. It is, it is um, governed by his holy, perfect character. And his character is, it doesn't change. He's, he's the same. So we have a good God and we are very thankful for him. And so this speaks of his, his motivation behind it. He's a good God. He's good. It's uh, his goodness and his love 
for for mankind, for humankind, is evident. Is the word love there, by the way? It's not, I was expecting to be the word agape. It's not, it's um, philanthropia, which is the word from which we get philanthropy. It means that his love brought into where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, his, his, he, is, he cares for people. Okay, he's a, he's a, a, I guess, just saying that he is fondness of people, he is fond of, of doing good things for his people, and he, he enjoys that, and that's, that's a good thing. So this verse, this is staggering when you think about it. This verse is talking about the goodness of our God, and the goodness is displayed, if you will, to us through the, and, and regulated, if you will, by cause of his love for mankind, and he is doing these good things on and to us um, because he cares for us, because he loves us. He wants to do these things. And uh, it says that this goodness, this kindness of our God has appeared, bringing this salvation, bringing this deliverance. The word salvation is the word deliverance. Uh, and it's a good word. I like Romans. Uh, 116, which talks about that, um, you get that um, Paul says that he is not ashamed or embarrassed in a day in which people, a lot of times in the Jewish community, were somewhat embarrassed about the, the, the coming of the gospel, the work of Jesus. It was not sophisticated in the Jewish system. And um, Paul says, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not at all ashamed of the gospel. And the reason I'm not ashamed of the gospel is because it is the dunamis, it is the power of God unto deliverance. Um, I've seen that deliverance to some degree in my life. When I say that, is that I still struggle with self-centeredness and still struggle with sin. And I know we do, and yet at the same time, what I'm doing today, I would never have done before salvation that is studying the scriptures and teaching them and being concerned for the people. That's another thing that the gospel does. It makes us concerned for people. Concerned for people in an area that there is a, a real need, particularly in the spiritual realm. And uh, I think of my two sisters, I know that we all have people that we love, family members that we love. And because we love the Savior, he has given us a deep concern for them, and uh, we pray for people like that, and, and uh, we are concerned. I pray for my sisters, all of pray for every day, pray for my, my family, um, feed Dory, the girls, pray for them all the time, and others I pray for, um, because I'm concerned. And that concern is a result in part of the Lord taking over my life and giving, changing my heart. We talked about it this morning that the conversion experience is the greatest miracle that we see today insofar as a is a dynamic change because we don't see when somebody gets healed usually it's uh, the process of the body healing stuff like that sometimes it's a miraculous thing but it's not dramatic like a person's conversion a person's conversion the things that they do now they didn't do before the things they want now they didn't want before the things that they desire now they didn't desire before that's an evidence of salvation it changes the heart what does second Corinthians 5 17 say Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all, all things are become new. God does that. He does that in our heart. He, he makes that change. And uh, that's, that's an evidence. Of his, I can remember, 
I gave my life to the Lord in my car in Pulling Park in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, I can remember I went there because I was struggling financially. I was I had a lot of bills. And the reason I had bills was not because I wasn't making enough money. It was because I was not using, I was not spending my money and applying wisdom to how I lived. I was doing stupid things, self-centered things, sinful things. And um, I figured that my grandmother, the Lord took care of my grandmother. I remember how he had provided for her during the depression and how he had enabled her as a widow. She and her sister, they had sent all three girls through college. And uh, that was a significant provision for widows there in the town. And she gave testimony frequently to how the Lord had done that because he was good and he was alive. So I figured I need to have this kind of business deal with God that I would begin. I know it's stupid, but that's what I thought. And if I would meet with the Lord and have a quiet time, he would be so pleased with me doing that that he would just start dishing out extra bucks, which I would use the wrong way. I can tell you right now, I would use it the wrong way. And um, so I did. And uh, in the process of that, he spoke to my heart. And uh, I had these massive, not massive, I had these, this financial burden on my shoulder. And after I gave my life to the Lord, the burden was lifted. The responsibility was still there. And I knew I had that responsibility, but I also knew that the burden was now on somebody else's shoulders who was far more able to carry it than I am. I'm thinking of, I don't know if this is an appropriate illustration, but I'm thinking of the story that I heard of the, the man who was, had a horse buggy and theme, and they were driving along, and this guy was hitchhiking along the road with a backpack. And so he said, you want to ride yet? Get him. He said, yeah, he got in the car. And he was riding along with that big backpack on the back. And he said, you take the backpack off. He said, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. He said, you've been so kind to give me a ride. I wouldn't ask you to take my backpack as well. <laughs> he said, well, you can take it off because the car is carrying you and the backpack. God can do that. He can take you with your budget burdens and your backpack and all the, and the burdens that you have. And he can help you carry them. So in this passage, we're looking at this verse that Titus is telling us about the coming of God. And motivation is God's kindness. And by the way, don't miss the reference to God, our Savior. That's a good thought. Not only is it speaking about the fact that Jesus is God, but it also is giving strong testimony to the fact that he's God who is our Savior. He's the one who saves. He's the one who delivers us. And that he loves he loves people. He is concerned for people. His love for mankind has appeared. Then we go to, after the referring to the accomplishment of the salvation, he talks about the appropriation of salvation. And uh, the first thing he says is there in that verse is that he saved us. And that word saved is, again, the word for salvation that we use is delivered us. He's delivered us. Not on the basis of our deeds or our works or our employment, you could use it, any of those three words there. Uh, he saves us not on the basis, not on the foundation, not simply because we have some good works or employment or whatever, which we have done, which we have, you could also translate the word done, which we have produced. He doesn't save us because of the work that we have produced. He doesn't save us because of our employment. He doesn't save us because of the deeds, the things that we have done. We sometimes think that that's what he's done, 
but he doesn't save us for that but because of those things which we have done in righteousness the word righteousness is a term that describes what is right what is conforming to god's will both in thought and purpose and action it doesn't save us because of the things that we've done the plans and purposes that we have which are right which fit into god's purpose god's plan it doesn't save us for that it doesn't deliver us because of those things he delivers us according to his mercy this verse by the way in titus was one of the verses we used back in grace church for discipleship evangelism when we were going around giving testimony and witness to people about salvation and we made it clear that we're not saved by our works because Titus tells us we're not saved by works of righteousness that we have done but according to his mercy he saved us and that idea of mercy is his pity his compassion God is a God that, that uh, feels if you will our pain maybe is the way we can say it he, he knows that we are we are locked into our sinful behavior and the only way that we are going to become liberated from that is if he steps in and gives us understanding and opens our heart and our lives and gives us faith to believe that's what ephesians 2 8 9 talks about for by grace you're saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not as a result of your works or your your production or your purpose of your plan but according to his mercy not according to work but by faith he saved us and so this is a good verse this tells us that our salvation is by grace through faith and that's not yourself it's a gift of god not a work that's in man should work so that's a good note by the way this verse i think uh is a good verse to to speak of too we talk about so much we talk about because it, it tells the people that are listening that there is a hope but that hope is not found in your religion in your activity or your intention god is merciful and gracious he wants to save but the salvation is going to be on his terms not yours you have all the works you want to and all the changes you want to and all those things but um it's not that it's his mercy and it's his grace and so the verse tells us that we're looking at he saved us not on the basis of deeds or works which we have done which we have done in righteousness done in trying to fulfill his purpose or actions rather but rather according to his compassion according to his mercy according to his his uh, pity he saved us notice the next phrase there which is an interesting phrase it's by the washing of regeneration by the holy spirit and i can't resist this isaiah jeremiah lamentations ezekiel chapter 36 which we looked at with Pete, and uh, you, you probably haven't memorized it. This is some of that we looked at. Uh, it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit as uh, and the purpose of salvation in the word and use of the word. 36 25 says this. Um, then he says, um it's talking about i will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land then i will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and i will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols this is god's cleansing god's process of cleaning moreover i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh not of stone but of flesh i will put my spirit within you 
and calls you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances, and you will live in the land that I give to your forefathers, and so you will be my people, and I will be your God. And so here's the promise. He's going to give the Spirit, the Spirit re referred to um, here in this text as his pouring out his goodness to us. It comes in Ezekiel 13. We saw that as we're looking uh, in John's Gospel, that reference, the PK's reference, was very good. And so another passage we look at quickly is in Ephesians 5. Just turn over real quick. Ephesians. Um, 5.26, which is a, a very important verse. All the passages are important. This one particularly, I thought. Um, says that, uh, my husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having, watch this, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present her to himself, a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but should be holy and blameless. So that the watching is used there as the word, and the word does in fact cleanse us. We talked this morning about the word of truth, which the Lord promised that the Spirit would come and would, would uh, author the truth to them, the things that they uh, needed to know, he would bring to their attention. And that they were, they were protected from error by that. The Spirit of God can do that. Those are recorded, so we have them now in the Gospels and uh, in the epistles, these things. It's really important. So here's this, this, this picture there that is, uh, we were saved not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, His pity, by the washing of uh, regeneration and the uh, that word regeneration is giving new life. That's one of the things that's important. And uh, we, we need to see that in salvation. That was one of the things that the church has struggled with, I think, is that sometimes we don't realize that a person when is saved is given a new life, regenerated, having a new heart. And that new heart is real. It's a new life. It's a miracle that God gives. And so the salvation that he has provided is by the washing of regeneration and the renewing, that idea of renewing is, I think is in the context there, it's a consequence of regeneration. The, the regeneration brings about a renewal, a new life, a new transition. And that's the idea that's renewing by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 2, one more verse, and uh, we'll turn to it. We were looking at Romans some time ago, and that chapter is a chapter, if you want to line the all the reference of the Holy Spirit is in there. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's the principle of the Spirit of life. And just notice there the reference to the Spirit as the Spirit of life. He is the Spirit who brings life. He is the Spirit who regenerates. He is the Spirit who gives, gives hope. And so here is this picture again of the salvation, the accomplishment of salvation. And I'm going to stop here because we're getting near the end of our time. But here's the promise here. First of all, uh, he, he reminds us that uh, when the kindness of motive, the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, when that took place, he saved us, he delivered us, not on the basis of our works or our employment, uh, which we have done in 
we have produced in our seeking to conform to God's will or God's purpose didn't save us because of that, but rather according to his pity, according to his compassion, according to his mercy, by the bathing, the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, of the regeneration, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing by his Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, we're going to see next time, verse 6, whom he poured out upon us richly. That word poured out uh, can be used to speak of offerings, the wine that was poured out of the offering, and it's used uh, by Peter and Joel to speak of the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, which is an abundant uh, display, abundant entrustment, abundant um, commitment by the third person of the Trinity to his people, that we are in possession of him, that he comes alongside, he is there with us, he's there to support us, he's there to direct us. Um, if Jesus had stayed in the flesh, he would be limited to wherever he was geographically. But if he goes and sends the Spirit of God, then he is unlimited in wherever he is. He can be any place, he can be here, he can be in the church in Africa, he can be with somebody in prison cell, or in the foxhole, or whatever. And he can be just as near and dear to them there as he is with us here. When the, the Lord came to get to Jonah, and I agree with that, that we didn't see him uh, when he came for a city or a lane. We didn't see him. But I think in reality, in the spiritual realm, he came in there and he just would say, it's time. It's time. This is the the time is up, let's go home. And you take him by the hand and lead him into glory. What a wonderful thought that is. It is. It really is. And it's, it's really the hope that we have in Christ. Because of the work that he has done for us. We, we don't deserve that, but he has done that. So let's, let's um, rejoice in the goodness of our God and the Savior and the provision that he has. And realize um, we have no hope in ourselves. Um, we live in a world that is, and I was thinking about this this morning, we live in a world that, every, that we have hope in almost everything. I mean, no matter how depressing life can become, you know, you have hope that, that something will happen or that you can, um, if you have a brain tumor and it's inoperable, you have hope that they might discover something or they might be able to perform something, might be able to use new laser surgery and take care of it. And you have hope that, um, if you have a bad knee, that they're going to be able to get the surgery done and work on that. And you have hope uh, that you're going to, somebody that's real sick is going to get better. Or you have hope that your job, you'll get a promotion or whatever. There's always hope until you die. And once you die, you enter into the realm that there's no more hope. And you're sealed for the rest of eternity in that condition. So it's, it's a wise thing now while you are here to take the Lord seriously. You know, I'm saying, and, and really put your faith and trust in Him. Cry out to Him for mercy. Don't rest. Be like that Barnabas when Jesus was passing by. They said, "Shut up. Be quiet. This is you're losing your cool. I don't care." And he would cry out, "Jesus, Son of David! Jesus, Son of David! Have mercy on me, please, please help me!" And Jesus stopped. And Barnabas is like your sheep forever. So it's really, really, really important that we listen and we take Him seriously while we can. We, we're not promised another second. If you speak to your heart, you better respond while I'm speaking. If you wait, you risk the chance 
the jihad will be hard. We won't, we won't come back by. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words here that have come from the pen of the apostle uh, to Titus. And as we've been kind of standing behind him and looking over his shoulder, we've been seeing these things for ourselves. They are very apropos. Uh, thank you so much for your mercy and thank you for your grace and for the salvation that you and your goodness and love for us have provided deliverance from life, deliverance from sin, deliverance from self-centeredness and lust. Help us to revel in that, to appreciate it, to live it so that others might see and hope that we have within us and ask for reason for that. And so help us to be faithful. Help me. Help me to be faithful, I pray. And thank you for this time. We ask you blessing upon it in Jesus' name.